hey, listeners, this week we wanted to do something a little bit different, give back to the folks who make this podcast possible. That's Patreon supporters, supporters of Seattle Nice on Patreon. You're going to get the full episode on Patreon. You go over there, you click, you'll be able to hear the whole thing. Everybody else this week, we've got a preview to whet your appetite. If you want to contribute, head over to Patreon. It'll give you access to this episode. We've got other member-only perks coming this year, a special year, an election year here, here in Seattle. We've got city council races coming up. We can only do it with your support. So thanks, everybody who's supporting it. For everybody else, thank you, too, for listening and enjoy this preview. Welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde with Publicola reporter and editor Erica Barnett, political consultant Sandeep Kaushik. And today we're talking about Third Avenue in downtown Seattle. It's the stretch between Pike and Pine, also known as the Blade. And in case you're new to Seattle, you don't live here, whatever, you're not familiar with the area, there are essentially a lot of vulnerable people who live or hang out around there. There are people selling drugs, people buying drugs, uh, people using drugs. Many of the people are unhoused. There's a lot of untreated mental illness. Fights break out there. There are public safety issues, murders, sometimes shoplifting, vandalism. So the city's been wanting to make changes. There's a new effort called the Third Avenue Project. And leading that effort is our special guest today, Lisa Dugard, spelled with three A's. She also leads the Purpose Dignity Action Organization, formerly known as the Public Defender Association. So first question, Lisa, for you, before we bring in... Sandeep and Erica, I wonder if you could just flesh out what are the unique challenges that the city is facing um, on on third. Sure, it's great to be with you. I'm the co-executive director of Purpose Dignity Action. I don't want to um, omit my colleague Tara Moss, uh, the other Third Avenue. This area, the Blade, you know, has been a um, focal point of public disorder for decades since before I became a public defender in the mid nineties. So this is not new. It, it did become in 2020, 2021 more acute than anyone had ever seen. So I do want to say this is a longstanding problem that was amplified during um, the COVID pandemic for multiple reasons. And while things have shifted since 2021 um, in that there are, far fewer people living in tents and structures, you know, wood structures in this zone than there were um, in 2020, 2021. The level of um, public disorder, which is a, a general term I'm using to include um, illicit street economic activity, selling um, sex, selling drugs, selling stolen property, um, public drug use, people in the aftermath of public drug use who are really in bad shape, um, and uh, people who are um, severely mentally ill, is still at a heightened level compared to the historic high level. So that is the landscape um, that challenges everybody, you know, businesses, um, policymakers, and human services providers. Okay, so what what is the city and what are you with the Third Avenue Project doing to try to help 
ameliorate or address some of those issues? The first thing, well, first of all, we have a sort of short um, time horizon on this new coalition. It is funded only through September. And um, the lift in terms of both coordination of multiple partners and mapping the actual situation is a heavy one, is a steep one. So the first step um, is just honestly understanding what is really happening out there. Um, how many people are involved in this ecosystem? What are their needs and what is their situation? What, um, what are they doing out there? what would have to change for them to be in better shape um, or not be in this area. Uh, and that, um, so that involves a, an, informa an information sharing platform that we acquired and rapidly built um, called Gelata that a whole bunch of different um, partners and care providers have access to and are, and are using to share information developing a by name list so that there isn't just sort of a general impression that there are a lot of people out here with certain kinds of characteristics, but we actually can know how many unique individuals are we talking about who are um, repeatedly chronically in this area with, with severe needs um, and then beginning to make a care plan or identifying the requests that we would make of systems to meet the needs of these people. Obviously, we, we have not even finished that process, nor, and so we're far from being able to fully meet the needs of all the folks who are out there. It's really at the point of naming what we would need in order to accomplish that. And I will just say that the current, you know, map, I, I think we, we do now have a pretty complete understanding of what is going on and who is involved. And it is very complex and very difficult. So I'm not here to, we are not here to um, minimize the complexity of a resolution. It's just unfortunately, you know, the only way through a complex problem is to acknowledge its complexity. And we are definitely at the point of being able to, to name the, complex elements of this of this challenge. I'm just going to ask one more and then Eric and Sandeep should should jump in, but how is this approach with the Third Avenue project different from, you know, you mentioned that this area has been an issue for the city for a really long time. So how is this approach different from other other projects, other efforts that we've seen um, to address the the Third Avenue corridor in the past? Basically, in every way, <laughs> this is the first time I can remember that public a public policy response has been developed, starting with um, you know a, a mapping or an exp an exploration of who really is out there and what are they really going through, what's really um, their interior landscape and situation. So in that way, it's it's quite different. It's not based on impressions, and it's not based on guesses, and it's not based on solely on the impact that people are having, but actually trying to understand why and who. Um, and then, as well, it is um, a, a consortium effort of a variety of different providers, honestly, none of whom have the resources that they <laughs> need to tackle even their slice, but they are the right um leader for the piece that they've been assigned. So 
for drug users, um, the REACH program, for people with severe um, mental illness, the downtown emergency service centers, behavioral health response team, for um, the population that is living downtown unsheltered, the Regional Homelessness Authority, for people who are unsheltered but not downtown, but are coming downtown, um, the HOPE team. So, um, and for just kind of um, environmental streetscape issues, cleanup issues, the MID ambassadors um, for DSA, the Downtown Seattle Association, so those entities um, are not, um, oh, and then for people with legal system involvement, lead, which is staffed by Reach, but um, Reach is involved also with their their outreach team, and then for people who um, have immediate shelter placement needs outside of what the Hope team can mobilize, co lead our our program. So um, the. In the past, often you will see a complex problem identified and then there's sort of a competition for one program to, you know, volunteer or be placed in a position of responding to a set of circumstances that they do not, they're not fully equipped to resolve. And then there's sort of a disappointment that that was not sufficient and it, you know, still sort of looks the same out there for this project. We tried to associate every a coalition of the willing, everybody who was willing to be a part of the solution, recognizing the complex set of needs that are out there. Then the third way that it's different um, is that, uh, I guess there's four ways. The third way that it's different is that it's happening with the full-throated support of the business community. And the fourth way that it's different is it includes an element of um, on-site, pre- basically constant on-site presence um, and what we're calling milieu management um, from a team from We Deliver Care. This is a team that is incredibly skilled at de-escalation, at um, identifying what could be um, threatening or aggressive actions and de-escalating those situations. So it's essentially prevention of incidents uh, before they occur and become a call for service and a call for response. And that team has the ability to disperse people congregating, what WDC calls congregants, (laughs) um, people congregating. And they do do that. Of course, dispersing people is temporary and people reassemble and that doesn't solve anything. But they do have that ability and they have relationships with folks that are um, capable of engaging the, the people in this ecosystem in um, kind of a, an understanding that they need to move away from a particular location when it's really hard on a, a local business. So there's a lot of um, assets here that we've not assembled before. So uh, just to, to dive in, but before we start sort of pontificating or, you know, bullshitting, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Lisa, you said that, it, it, first of all, how long has this project been in existence? And you said you've kind of essentially close to completed the mapping phase. You have a pretty good picture of out there. What does the map show? Give us a few of the details of that. I think it's important yeah. for people to understand. Yeah. Sure. So the funding is halfway through six months of funding um, and the field presence. We are four months into that. 
in terms of the information sharing and sort of referral coordination, even less time than that, the information sharing platform, getting the various entities integrated into that and um, sort of in the habit of loading information in there is just a couple months old. Um, so we have six months to go, basically, in the current tranche of funding. What do, what do we know? Um, 463 unique individuals have been identified in the by name list for Third Avenue. Of those, um, 424 were identified as probably unsheltered. So that is an important finding. That's 92%. It's an important finding right there. Both both are important. 463 is a large number of unique people whose issues are having an impact in the neighborhood. And these are not people passing through. These are people who are sort of chronically present. Um, and then the high representation of, um, you know, people who are unhoused among that pool means that, you know, is housing their only issue? No. But are we going to make much progress on their other issues if they continue to be living unsheltered? No. So um, that's just empirically an important piece of information. Um, I will also say some other things um, that, that matter. This is a complex ecosystem. A lot of the individuals involved and everybody in that by name list are extremely um extremely challenged in meeting basic needs. But there are other people out there um, who are operating for profit enterprises in and essentially trafficking in with with these folks as the workers. And that is a major factor in the dynamic in this area right now that has not always been the case, but it is the case right now. And that makes it dangerous to um, potentially dangerous to work on an exit plan for people who are making a living selling drugs or stolen property when those people are making money for other people who have eyes on the situation. So that's definitely a feature. The other thing that is just very important to reckon with is that the drug um, use landscape itself is has changed dramatically and is continuing to change. And things are worse than they have ever been in de in decades of observation. And I don't say that lightly because there's a habit, right, of every, every year is the worst year. This isn't what, that's not what's happening here. We are really comparing what we've seen over many decades, um, you know, where the primary or dominant drug was crack or heroin um, or even meth. And the current prevalence of fentanyl now with Trank in the mix has resulted in people who are, I mean, I've just finished listening to the state debate, you know, state legislative debate on drug policy. And there are lots of discussions about motivating people to do things and giving people incentives to do things. There are many, many people out there who are not in their right mind at all for any period of time. People who are also physically compromised in new ways that I'm not sure are really even well understood. People who are bent over at the waist most of the time, people who cannot walk and are have somebody's having to steal a wheelchair for them because they literally cannot, can no longer walk. Um, why, you know, what is the biochemical dynamic going on, I think is not yet well known. And hopefully, people will figure that out in coming months. But it just means that we're not talking 
to a great extent, we're not talking about people who are able to choose from the full array of of options about where to be, what to do, um, what strategy to pursue. They're just extremely, extremely debilitated. And that, that is not everyone in that group of 463, but it's a significant number. Right. So and, that's just different. And, and just to add on to that, because this is something I've been talking with people about recently a lot, but, but just the overdose rates, right? I mean, uh, when you look at the displacement of heroin by fentanyl, like the massive spike in overdose rates, we've talked about this in the DSC context where, you know, Erica wrote a story about DSC's naloxone program a few years ago and was talking about how DSC was reversing an overdose a month in, in um, DSC housing, and now that's more like an overdose a day. We the WDC team is reduced it like on Saturday they were they reverse six overdoses. This is yeah. you know like a an hourly event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To uh, to jump back to the by name list, uh, Lisa. You know the uh, KCRHA, the Regional Homelessness Authority, has also created a by name list. I assume that there is a tremendous amount of overlap, if not a total overlap, because it's kind of in the same area downtown, and they're focusing on downtown, and they have this partnership for zero and a housing command center and all this stuff and infrastructure that is set up and quite expensive, you know, ostensibly to do a lot of the same work that you are describing. And and maybe, you know, maybe this is your work is supplemental to that. Um, but it does seem like there's an overlap there. So I just can you can you talk a little bit about how this is different or yeah. supplementary to the work mm. they're doing? Or is the work they're doing not really focusing on Third Avenue yet? Or to be be pointed about it, competitive. It's <laughs> right? not. I mean, yeah, those are yeah. great. Those are great questions, and yeah. and honestly, it's what everyone has asked. Yeah. First of all, not not competitive. Um, RHA has been very supportive of of this work and is increasingly collaborating on it. So I just want to you know uh, really appreciate that. We have been um, you know the work of the last month has been to compare the two by name lists and. Notably, there is not a lot of overlap. So that is interesting. Um, yeah. Well, it is. It is. It is both. Um, you saw. So I think that I think the question is what. Um, and if we need to double check this. This has been a by hand check. Not we don't. Those two databases are not yet auto integrated. They can be, but they have not yet been. So we'll need to be confirming this. But it really does appear that there's not a, a great deal of overlap. But. I think the um, explanation for that is that the um, RHA systems advocates who have been assembling the by name list, they're not an outreach field team. They are identifying people, but they have been focused, as Mark Jones said in the Seattle Times article last week, on fixed sites. Third Avenue is not a fixed site. And whatever else is going on, people are not living in, in tents in the blade. So it's not... Um, it's not surprising. And, and what Mark said, which I think is an evolution of the possible definition of partnership for zero that's right on time, is that partnership for zero could em- embrace or include um, people who are having an impact in the downtown area, not because they're um, living in a fixed site there, but because they are unsheltered and they are having an impact in that area. And there's no per se reason that that isn't part of partnership for zero. But a lot of um, 
this is just discovery, right? Empirically, what's true? And I really appreciate that RHA has welcomed this data and really invited us to sort of be adjunct to the, the system advocate team in mapping, you know, a, a piece of impact in downtown. Well, so just just to yeah. push back a little bit on the system advocate, I mean, that definition is very new. That is not what the original d- definition and plan was. So if they are focusing on fixed sites on the edges of downtown now, which I think they are, um, you know, that's that's a change. They were originally supposed to do a lot of the work that you're describing, um, you know, going and being like the person, as Mark often, you know, used to say for each person downtown. And I'm just, I'm kind of, you know, I, I know that you don't want to say anything um, that would reflect in any way poorly on the system advocate work. But I mean, is this, it, it feels like this is coming um, after a year of them doing that work and, um, and sort of not accomplishing the things that you are setting out to accomplish with much less resources, which is, you know, kind of another question I have, but, um, you know, on Third Avenue. And so I, I'm just wondering... I mean, bluntly, what do you think of the work that they have done so far in the year that they've had to uh, to do some of the same uh, effort that you're doing now? I think they were clear from the outset that the system advocates, originally peer navigators, were not going to be an outreach team. So a lot of what the Third Avenue Project is doing is street-based continuous engagement in a limited zone, not all of downtown so it is it's just a different approach. Um, you know, they have a by name list of at least a thousand people, um, maybe more. And they have, I, this is just, you know, this, I, I may not be completely up to speed, but, I, you know, 28 or so um, system navigators. They don't have enough of a staff to be the, the person for each person with a um, pool that large. But when they started, they didn't know how large the pool was. So I think this is all, I mean, essentially they're sort of, pretend, I mean, we have not mapped out where this is going, but what I could foresee and what makes a certain amount of sense is to adopt the personnel of the Third Avenue project as adjunct to the system advocate, um, you know, capacity in order to fully reach this group of people. Um, and of course, if they if there are people on our by name list for Third Avenue who they are already working with, we don't need to work with those people. So there should be no duplication. But a thousand people with 28 system advocates is a caseload of 35 people per person. And that is not, you know, that's about triple the maximum of what intensive case management can support. So all of this just feels like, I mean, you can make all the plans you want, but reality is going to need to intrude. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we're all learning what is really happening out there and uh, adjusting accordingly. So I see a lot of openness to modification based on data. And that is very promising. Okay, so, uh, you know, and and I'm, I find Lisa, what you're saying to be super interesting, and I know we've talked about this before, because this project to me in a lot of ways encapsulates both what the opportunity here is in evolving our systems to address homelessness and, and, and is encouraging in that way, but also I think highlights the enormous challenges, right? You know, it's sort of, it's a microcosm of the, you know, the, the, both the, 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 the system itself and its sort of issues and, uh, and challenges, and because for, let, let's let's so unless unpack some of that stuff, right? 
you told me like you have funding till September. Then what? So I should I want to acknowledge that 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 funding comes from the mayor's office um, finding yeah. some 2022 underspend to launch this at the very end of last year, and um, so it is a good question. Um, you know what is what is intended? I think rightly, you know it it depends on whether what we're producing. Learn, you know, what we're learning and what we're doing is understood to be a good, a good and important use of public funds. And if so, there's uh, certainly that's within their power to continue this, um, this work. But I think it really is, you know, it's time to sit down and look at what we found um, and decide what response makes the most sense. I would, I mean, I don't think this work can be done better the, we have the right people. We have people who are capable of exceptional, exceptional insight, accurate, you know, assessment, relationship formation, de-escalation. It is being done very well. And I do want to say I saw the Seattle Times editorial about, you know, how too many people doing work. I mean, the Third Avenue Project is a whole bunch of organizations doing extra work for no extra funding. So it's hard for me to see how anybody can complain about that. Um, the only entity being funded is WDC, and that's because they're doing something that no one else wants to do or was prepared to do, which is go hold down that area and prevent, you know, prevent violence and uh, move in and among situations that could be quite dangerous. So, um, so everybody else is doing extra work within their existing resources and budget. Um, but for us, I mean, I'll just tell you where we are. We, we are not in the business of perpetuating things just cause, you know, it's, it has to work. Right. And what I'm seeing, what we're seeing is people more debilitated than we necessarily appreciated. And so there needs to be some response to that that is not normal case management. This is not a population that can work effectively with case managers. And I, I'm not talking about the whole group, but there's a subpopulation that cannot work effectively with case managers. So what's the plan for that? And that's a policy. That's a policy conversation. That's not just more of you know, a, a higher dose of the same thing that we're doing. We need to bring in a different... Thing. And then similarly for the higher level trafficking dynamics, that's also a policy conversation that's not just a higher dose of what we're doing. So I think we're part of our contribution is just to catalyze policy decisions that aren't really about spending money on programs. Uh, and then, of course, I, I do think that if this area is fundamental to you know, downtown um, well-being, then I do think that the WDC presence is incredibly valuable. Um, and I also think it could be a model for a couple of other hotspots that are um, unquestionably very difficult for local businesses. I think of um, Little Saigon, you know, which is just proving to be um, very stubbornly similar. <laughs> um so I think this model has a lot of has a lot of potential to be adapted for a you know a 
a longer term venture. That's it for this preview of Seattle Nice. If you want to hear the full episode, just head on over to Patreon, donate to Seattle Nice. That'll give you access. And thanks everybody so much for supporting this program. It's only possible with your support. And thanks everybody for listening.